morning, church. All right, uh, so I hope this Revelation series is, uh, has been encouraging to you as it has been to me. Um, it's been such a help for me in, in my study and in my preparation. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, um, this is an overview series of the book of, of Revelation. And uh, so since we are covering a lot of ground, we won't do much by way of introduction, a quick recap, and then we're going to jump in uh, chapters 4 through 7. I encourage you, if this is your, your first time, uh, the previous messages are foundational. Each one of these is building on themselves as the book of Revelation does. So last week we looked at the, the church on earth in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, now we're going to transition to the throne in heaven. And the one who held the stars last week is the one who sits on the throne, who is worthy to be on the throne this week. And so our, our theme and my hope going through this is that the church militant on earth is not to lose sight that we are also the church triumphant in heaven. Um, so if you're not familiar with those two terms, let me help you. We know the term military. So militant, someone who is engaged in a battle, someone who has an enemy. The church on earth, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We do have an enemy. As soon as you follow Christ and pick up your cross, you also pick up his armor and his flag, and you pick up his enemies. We are the church militant. But there is a church triumphant. Those who have, who have battled before, those who have gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses who will await us one day, they know the triumph face to face that we know in faith. So this is to remind us, the church militant, that in Christ it is guaranteed that we will be the church triumphant. And so though trials come, we are sons of the holy Lord God Almighty. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb, and by Him we are worthy to stand before this glorious throne we're going to see in just a moment. Another reminder that Revelation is full of parallels. This is not a, a chronological book, as in dominoes that one thing after another has, has to be seen. This is a book that tells the church of all ages what will happen and what must happen so that they're not surprised, so that they're not afraid, but they're actually encouraged and strengthened while they're on earth because they know who their God is. They know where he is, and they fix their eyes on him. So which means we're going to cover four chapters this morning, and most of you think I can't do it. Um, you, you, if, if, you, if you've been here long enough, you know what, you're at, what I'm asking myself to do. Um, but four chapters that are actually parallel, meaning they're all true at the same time, and they're all true now. And so it'll just give us a, a, a small glimpse uh, as we cover these briefly and sometimes quickly. There are so many Old Testament allusions and citations here, I can't possibly uh, hit them all. So you should have a handout. Did you get your, your, your handout? Okay. So that, and those are just the, uh, the uh, major ones. I had to restrain myself. We could have gone three pages through those. So I'm not going to cover all of the Old Testament references, but you have them. And there's been handouts every week so far. So if you, ha if you haven't gotten the uh, first couple handouts, they should be back there on the, the sound booth. So as I read this, I'm going to read all of chapter 4. And so I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention to the words and to the details. I want you to think 
as I read, as we go through these other ones, I want you to keep in mind the imagery here. What comes to mind? Because as we go through the rest of the book, do not forget what we read in chapter 4. Chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow and had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was at, as, as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature as an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave honor and glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, Lord, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will it, they existed and were created. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, may we never forget that when we come before you in prayer, your throne of power and might also is a throne of grace for us. When we forget how powerful you are, how good you are, we forget your omnipotence, your omniscience, help us to remember your throne. That the most glorious things man has ever set his eyes on worship you. Because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And Lord, we ask this morning that you be glorified in our time together. That the words and the prayers of your saints would be a sweet incense at your feet. That you would find pleasure in our hearts because of your Son. That your Spirit would work in us. Remind us of the truths of Christ to see him, to glorify him. And to use us as light in a dark world. That as your kingdom of priests, we would intercede for the world around us. That we would bring the people before this holy God. That they may fall before him in worship. And would we never grow tired of worship. Because we look forward to the day when we can see you. Walk with you, know you, and worship you forever. And we will never grow tired there. And we can only do that and go there because of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's in his name we pray. Amen. So chapter 4, I want to read all of it because it's full of so much imagery. And I'm going to kind of quickly move through the imagery here. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Each one of these details is like a brushstroke. And so we can easily get caught up in one brushstroke or another. But there's this glorious, majestic painting 
that John is, is trying to explain to us. And John is in way over his depth here. Any one of us who saw the glory of God in heaven would not be able to put it into words that, that were in, intelligible. And so through the Spirit, John has given us these, the, these details. And so um, I just want you to not get overwhelmed in the details, but I just want you to see how they build on one another, how they, they, they complement one another, the sights and the sounds and the images. First thing I want you to notice, he notices a door. We looked at this last week. There is a, there's, there's a door, there's, a, there's, there's an opening. Jesus told us any door he opens, no one can shut. Any door he closes, no one can open. And John is given a door to the throne room of God. And then these incredible words come up here. In a sound like a trumpet. Last week we talked about trumpets being for announcing, proclaiming. When God speaks, it sounds like a trumpet. And God says, come up here. Can you imagine? John on this prison island is drawn in the spirit with his eyes to see and ears to hear before the very throne of God. And he's trying to write this down for us. This is what we're about to walk through. So as we get into the symbolism in the next couple chapters, a lot of what we'll read in Revelation parallels the details, but also the, the language and the style of the prophets. The prophets are trying to describe things too glorious for human words, and that's what we're going to try to do. So uh, just know we can't do it justice. I can't do it justice. We could spend years talking about how glorious God is and still fall short. This also is... Um, like prophetic dreams, we, we, we've seen Daniel and uh, Joseph who have these, these images that on, on first glance don't make sense. You're seeing, they're seeing statues and they're seeing trees and they're seeing hands and what is going on here? And to those without ears to hear, this is nonsense, it's gibberish. But as Jesus told us, the same purpose in his parables, these are for those who have ears to hear. So brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, he, I want you to listen with ears to hear, see with eyes to see. And if you are here this morning and you are in opposition to Christ, this is going to sound crazy and you're going to dig your heels in even further. And I pray that the Lord convicts you and, and, and humbles you in your self-righteousness because no one can stand boldly before this throne unless the Lamb goes before him. So as we transition into the the throne. Um, again, a lot of symbolic and informative details. So let's just run through them. But remember I, I said that all of these brush strokes are painting a painting. There is one theme, there is one painting that all this puts together, and it is that there is no one higher or greater than our God. There is no one bigger, there is no one more majestic, there is nothing more awesome just look at his throne. Just look at his glory. That's the picture being painted. And every one of these things contributes to that. First, we see a throne of beauty. We see bright colors, jasper and carnelian and rainbow. We get pictures of, 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 of bright majesty and uh, peace and God's blessing. And we see one who, who, who sits on the throne who he doesn't even try to describe. 
The throne is so glorious, he can't even get to the one sitting on the throne. And we, uh, we, we look at Daniel last week. We'll look a little bit more in chapter 5. But the Ancient of Days, the Father in all of his glory. And here, the throne is synonymous with the Father. This throne is surrounded by 24. Remember, I told you we're going to look at a lot of numerology as well. The number 12 should come to mind. We're familiar with the Old and New Testament. The, the 12 symbolizes the, the fullness of the people of God. But why 24? There were 12 patriarchs. There were 12 apostles. All the saints, old and new, all the saints before and after Christ. What does an elder do? If you're a member here, you know our job as elders is to represent the people before God, to be representatives. These are the 24 representatives of all the people of God for all history. 24 of them with crowns. And he goes on. There are seven spirits and seven torches. We talked about this before. The number seven, again, the number seven is a number of uh, completeness, but it's usually something intangible. Seven spirits is one Holy Spirit. Why seven flames? Why seven torches? Why, why seven lights? Because fire is the only thing that you can transfer and multiply, but it never loses its intensity. It's the same thing we saw in Acts chapter 2. Fire can be in seven places and at the same time and be as intense in each one. So this also is an image of the, the Holy Spirit being able to be everywhere all at once. The Holy Spirit being able to, and we'll get into more of that in chapter 5, being able to come from the throne of God himself to all of creation. It continues, and around that, that throne, there's a, there's, a, there's a sea of glass in verse 6, like, like crystal. Anyone ever been on the water where the sea is like glass? David, there is, there is not one bit of wind. There's not a cloud in sight. There's not turbulence, and it's just peaceful. You feel as safe and as calm as you can be. It's almost eerie, like it shouldn't be this peaceful. That is what it is around the throne, because no one will disrupt that throne. No one will bring wind. No one will bring storms. And it is like crystal. It shimmers and it shines because that is where perfect peace resides. And so around the elders and around the uh, throne are four living creatures. Remember, we talked about the significance of the number four. We're going to look at quite a few of them today. The number four it, uh, signifies all of, of, of the earth, all of, all of creation. Four directions, north, south, east, west. Four winds. These creatures represent all of, 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 of creation symbolically. So the, uh, the uh, strong, the uh, courageous lion, the uh, strong ox, the wisdom of, of man, the, uh, the uh, speed and, and, and majesty of, of an eagle, eagle. Just these amazing, amazing creatures but they also represent the witness of God to all of creation. Elsewhere, in the Old Testament um, uh, visions of them, they uh, go to and fro all about the earth. They are witnessing the glory of God wherever they go. And they have a song, and they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the scriptures, when you say something twice, it means pay attention. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you. When you say something three times, it's of supreme importance. He is not just holy. 
He is not holy, holy. That is why we began with the song we began with earlier. He is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was holy for all of eternity past, who is holy right now, and who will be holy forever. And they never stop. And it never loses its weight. It never gets old because he's always holy. And when the creatures cry holy, these elders take their crowns and throw it on the ground. I don't deserve this. And the elders sing, worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they existed and are created. Brothers and sisters, this is why we sing. This is why we rejoice, because this is our God. Because if the 24 elders who look at the throne fall down on their faces, we better too. So before we go any further, I think it's important for us to just realize, let's come back down to earth for a moment. As the church militant, where is Christ for us? So when we wonder, where was God when this happened? Where was God when my sister died? Where was God when I lost my job, when my husband died? left me when fill in the blank where was God does God care is God able to help is he is he good does he even know don't forget the throne because the answer to every one of those questions is he is on the throne and that is an ever-present reminder because in this life as Jesus told us as I keep reminding you you will have tribulation you will have trials. We are guaranteed death and difficulty. But in Christ, we are guaranteed eternity. And we will spend more time looking at that throne than we will our own houses or our own families or anything else in this life. And so we are never to forget this throne. If you get, and as we continue on, if you get scared, if you get overwhelmed, if you start looking at some of the details within the book of Revelation, don't forget the throne. That's why the throne comes right after the seven churches. The throne is the, the first vision John sees because everything else depends on it. Remember the throne. Because that God who was holy when you saw him is, is still holy when his people are murdered and slaughtered. Praise God indeed. Chapter 5. Then I saw... Here's the next in the, in the thematic and theological sequence. So we've already established the nature of the throne. Now there's something very important happening on the throne. So then I looked at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and a scroll written within and on its back um, sealed with seven seals. Okay, so what's the significance of a scroll? Uh, we have books. We don't often carry around scrolls, but... but when a, a king would deliver a scroll with, with, with a seal, whatever's written on the inside, that is the prerogative of the king. That is the, the hidden will and declaration of the king. No one can open what the king has to say unless he has been given permission to remove the seal. So what we see in the, or what's here in the scroll is the, the written, divinely decreed, and sealed will of God. For all of 
creation. And so the first question we must naturally ask ourselves, is anyone able to open the mind of God? Paul asks us in Romans, who could be his counselor? That is why John weeps. Because as they look around, they say, who is worthy to open the scroll? And no one is found. And John is so overwhelmed with the glory and holiness of God and God's will is right in front of him on this scroll, and it's sealed up, and no one can open it. John just breaks down in tears. No one's worthy. We will never get to see the salvation and the judgment of God. We will never get to see his sovereign will played out on the earth because no one is worthy. We have no hope of God's purposes being fulfilled because no one but God is worthy. Until these great comforting words in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Why? Behold, look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. Again, this is lots of Old Testament imagery. The line of Judah. Judah was the, the tribe that the king would come from. This is David's tribe. What is a lion? A lion is strong. No one is beating a lion on the battlefield. No one stands up to a lion and, and lives. He is, he's, he's noble. He's courageous. He is the root of David. How can any tree stand? How can there be any leaves? How can there be any fruit unless it has a deep root? How can the the, the people of God produce any fruit? How can this tree have any branches? Because he is the root. And his roots go deep and no one will ever pull him out of the ground. Everything that was promised to David is rooted in Christ. This we see in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, David's father, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, plural, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. David's, or Jesus is saying, that's me. The book of Revelation is saying, don't cry. That seed of Jesse, the one whose resting place is glorious, I know him. And he's coming. And he has conquered. So that he would be the one worthy to open the seals. Verse 6, it goes on. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the the elders, I saw a lamb. This one who is worthy is both lion and lamb. Ferocious and noble and strong. And pure and innocent and worthy standing as though it had been slain because death could not hold him. He was slain, but he is very much alive. And this lamb stands with seven horns and seven eyes. Kind of sounds like a monster, right? But I told you, every time we see seven in the book of Revelation, it's symbolic. He has seven horns. Horns signify power and authority. 
All power, all authority is his. Seven eyes. He's got complete sight. He's got complete wisdom. There is nothing that is outside of his, of his purview. But it goes on. Which are the seven spirits of God? Okay, so how, do, how do, does Christ see? We already talked about what the seven spirits are. The Holy Spirit of God is Christ's eyes. And where does he see? Out into all the earth. This is an exact fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends sit before you, for they are men, uh, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, root, tree, stump, uh, all the same idea. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone, we know Christ is the cornerstone, with seven eyes, I will grave its inscript, engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. A stone with seven eyes who will take away the iniquity of the land. All of this is coming together. And the lamb doesn't just stand there. Notice, the lamb doesn't bow. Everyone else falls in worship, but the lamb walks up boldly. He went up and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. No one takes anything out of the hand of God unless he's God. So the lamb himself came and took the scroll. And it was in his right hand. And they all worshiped. This is what Jesus meant in the Great Commission. Seven horns, all authority has been given to me. I have the power of my Father. I will send you out as my witnesses. Go, because you go in my authority. Go, because you go in the name of the Lamb. Go, because the Father sent me, so I send you. And what is the only response when you see a lamb who is slain, who's worthy to step up before the Ancient of Days and take the scroll which no one can open from his hand? You worship. And when he had taken the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down on their faces. And they sang a new song. And don't forget the little, uh, the little footnote there, which their incense is the prayers of the saints. When they sing, our prayers join them. That is the smell before the throne. And they sing this great hymn. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. The gospel causes us to worship because the lamb was slain for us. And not just to wipe the slate clean, but to add to it his righteous inheritance. To make us kingdom, a, a kingdom of priests. That we should reign with him on earth. The seed of Abraham, the son of David, the worthy lamb is our king. Uh, there are so many of these fulfillments, but I do want to read Psalm 132. Psalm 132, verses 1 through eight, or 11 through 18. Notice uh, how this is played out beautifully right before us. Psalm 132, starting in verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, this is why Jesus must be born 
of man. He must be born of the tribe of Judah. I will set on your throne. And if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. We're going to see that in chapter 7. This is all the elect. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his, his dwelling place. Zion is the um, theological resting of God. It was found in Jerusalem when the temple was, uh, but now uh, it is the, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem that will one day come down to earth. Um, for the Lord has chosen Zion, for he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests, here's the kingdom, I will close with salvation. And her saints will shout with joy. There I will make a horn, authority, to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. We looked at that last week. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Israel failed, but the true Israel, the line of the Judah, is, is the conqueror. He will not fail. His kingdom will not fail. And brothers and sisters, we are his kingdom. And so when you see this, all the heavenly hosts rejoice, and then all the creatures rejoice, because this is incredible. That God has taken a wicked, wayward people like us and made us into a kingdom of priests. And so what we're looking at is the rejoicing that is going on in the throne of God right now. They are praising God still, on which angels long to look. They're praising God for our redemption. This is the, the, the already not yet of the Christian life. We are the church militant right now, but they are already praising even though it has not yet been completely filled, but fulfilled, but because he will accomplish it, because it is already done, we rejoice now as if it were. Because that's what is going on in heaven right now. There are five hymns in chapters 4 and 5. Two hymns of the creator, two hymns of the redeemer, and the final hymn for the creator-redeemer. To him who sits on the throne and to, and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So don't forget the praise of chapters 4 and 5 when we get into the seals of chapter 6. Again, when you get scared or when you get confused or when you get overwhelmed, when, when we start getting into subsequent chapters, flip back to the throne. Flip back to the Lamb. Because if you know the Lamb who sits on the throne, you don't care about the seals that come next. So now we get into chapter 6. Then, now or, or, or then, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Um, now, let's just stop here for a moment. Remember, he's going to open these, these, these seals, and um, the Lamb opens, and the Lamb sends. The Lamb is still sovereign over everything we're, we're still about to see. He's reigning. He doesn't stop. And if he ransomed us, we're safe. These seals may affect us for a time, but they have no lasting effect on us. And we'll also see in the seals, this is important, that not just God's plan of redemption is fulfilled in the Son, but all of God's plans are fulfilled in the Son. Even God's plans of tribulation and judgment go through the Lamb. Everything. 
And so we're going to address detail because we need to come to it with a remembrance of the throne and the Lamb. And here's the uh, temptation. This will be good as we go through the rest of the book of Revelation. There is a uh, temptation to get lost in the details. Remember last week I talked about the forest in, in the trees. If you're so close to the tree that you are peeling the bark off and looking at everything, you miss the, 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 the beauty of the forest. But let's use our same painting analogy. Anyone ever seen a, a Monet painting? Now, Monet is, is uh, re- renowned, but you have to look at Monet from a distance. If you get very close to a Monet painting, you're going to be like, why is this guy putting red and blue in the grass? I know grass is green. All of us, we, when we learned to, to color as kids, we picked up a crayon. First thing we do, I'm going to get a, the green crayon for the grass. Monet? No. Monet begins with, with, with blues and reds. And if you get so close to it, you're like, this guy doesn't make any sense. But then you begin to pull back. You zoom out, and you see this, this beautiful landscape that just pops off of the canvas. That is the book of Revelation. If you look too closely at every detail... And you think, why is there that one blue brush stroke right there? And that's how people read Revelation. If they don't back up and see God is painting this masterpiece, things that seem out of place for us because we're not creative enough are exactly where they're supposed to be in the book. And also, as we get into the trumpets and the bowls that come on, there's a temptation to say, well, these seals, these trumpets, these bowls, they're tied to one event in history. But again, remember we said this is a book for the church age. Because if this seal or this trumpet only happened once to one particular people, then it's useless to everyone else. But this is what the church can expect in all places, in all times. These seals, they're not good things. But if you're in Christ, you're a conqueror. So that means... What God does is ultimately for your good. And so these seals are for the pruning of the church, removing those who are not truly in the church, for the refining of the church, to test and sanctify us, to judge the world and those who are false within the church. But it's also to inform and encourage and strengthen the church because all of this purification makes us more worthy. It removes the draws. And so, as William Hendrickson said, the book of Revelation is always up to date. We don't look for it to be fulfilled in the future. We don't wonder if it was fulfilled in the the past. It is always being fulfilled. Because this is the nature of Christ's enemies who are coming after Christ and his bride until he puts the final one under his foot. So, let's get into the seals. Um, As we talked about the uh, scroll and the seal, the the, uh, seals a wax imprint that holds the uh, paper shut. And so these are symbols of God's decree and his direction. Um, These will take place until Christ returns. But these are told from the perspective of the church. It's going to affect all of uh, humanity, but it's told from the perspective of the church. And it's told through four horses, or uh, more particularly, four riders on four horsemen. You've probably heard of the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the, the apocalypse, when people hear that, oh, it's these four guys who are going to come out right before the end. Apocalypse, apocalypsis, the same word we used earlier, revelation. These are four horsemen, as we'll see in, in, in a moment, who are always 
roaming the earth. I'll just say it now. Um, Zechariah 6, it's one of your, your references in there. Zechariah sees four horsemen, and he sees four chariots of four horses. They are strong, and they always roam and patrol the entire earth. That's what these, the, the, these four horsemen are. And it is the lamb who opens the seals and sends out the will of God. And so these, these uh, horsemen, these are warriors. So in the Bible, um, horses are, are imagery just like donkeys are. You use donkeys for working and you use horses for warring. Horses only come out when it's time to fight. When a horse comes out, you're, you're not going to be happy to be on the other end of it. These are not cowboy movies. Well, maybe they are. Um, so, uh, first seal. This is the uh, most debated one. And this one's a little tricky because he's on a white horse. And so people wonder, is this, is this Christ? And that would be the, the natural inclination. That was my first inclination. Um, but it's helpful to know uh, the uh, context but it's also helpful to know, remember I said, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to understand Revelation. Just to address that very quickly. So we read in the first one, a, a, a white horse and its rider has a bow and crown uh, was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Man, that, that, that sounds like, like Christ. But remember, it is the lamb who opens the seal. It is the lamb who, who, who sends out. Um, but that same language in chapter, look at chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 7. Remember I said that Christ's people are called conquerors, but he's also given authority to his enemies to conquer for a time. Chapter 13, verse 7. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And the authority, crown, bow, uh, the, the, the symbolism here of a war or a killing, was given, over to, uh, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. This is speaking about the beast here who has authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. We'll get to the nature of the beast in a couple weeks. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life and the lamb who was slain. So here's the uh, key to the, the Old Testament understanding in this text. When you look at Ezekiel, uh, they're, they're in your notes, and when you look at Zechariah, there are four judgments all of the seals, all of the trumpets, all of the bowls are all judgment. These are four horses. These are, these are four impacts on, on the world until Christ returns. These are, these are things that are, that are patrolling the world. So this isn't good. This type of conquering, this bow, this crown, this is only temporary. Christ is not riding on a white horse now. How do we know that? Let's go to chapter 19. Because when Christ truly comes on his right, white, white horse, you will not miss it. You won't have to ask, is that Jesus? I'm not sure if that's Jesus on that horse or not. You'll know when he comes on a horse. And notice the war imagery when he's on his horse. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he is a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, uh, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And his armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
There is one white, in the four, one white horse in the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But when Jesus comes, it's going to be an army of white horses. Pure warriors. So yes, for now, this first horseman is persuasion and uh, persecution. But there will be another horseman who's coming one day. All right, let's get on to the second seal. The rest, we're going to move a lot faster. Um, the uh, second seal. This one here... Um, he is permitted to take peace, and that so people would, would slay one another. When the word slay here is used, it means the uh, murder of the, the, the innocent or the unjust killing of someone. Remember, the lamb is slain. So this will be war on the church. John is writing to a persecuted um, group of believers. He is writing to people who live in the Roman Empire who are being pulled apart by horses, who are being tarred and feathered, who are being, who are being tortured. And any time there is gospel growth, there is an increase in persecution. And this we should expect. I love what Derek Thomas says. It's really helpful here. He says, the closer you follow Jesus, the more likely we are to draw the enemy's fire. So we shouldn't be surprised when our brothers and sisters are being killed, when people hate us for our faith. Not only did the Lord promise it, but Christ is sovereign over it. The third one, uh, scales. Here you see uh, economics, that basically a, a day's labor is, is, is going to be needed for one loaf of bread. Uh, inflation is, is, is promised. Hunger and economic hardship are, are promised to the church. So often our brothers and, and uh, sisters have their uh, property taken have their uh, jobs and, and income taken. We shouldn't be surprised. Um, fourth seal. This one is just is uh, death and, and Hades on this uh, pale horse. Basically, tragedies affect everyone. Death is, is guaranteed. Christians are not immune from this. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be wild beasts. By the way, this, um, these are the uh, four judgments that Ezekiel saw. And then so when we get to the next one, you're like, man, this is kind of discouraging. I love the book of Revelation because you might get discouraged for a, a few verses, but then there's encouragement right in the next verse. Fifth seal, verse 9. I want to read this, though. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Remember, here's that, that slain word again. For the word of God and for the witness that they borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who, will, who dwell on the earth? Then they each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So what do we need to know here? God is not caught off guard. God is still sovereign even when martyrs are slaughtered in his name. We also learn from this that we don't seek judgment for ourselves. But it's a good prayer to say, how long, Lord? Is it time yet? Are you going to take out your wrath on your enemies? No, not today? I'll wait. And it's okay. A time is coming, but it's not yet. What is most important, though, is that they have their robes. To the ones who are clothed with a white robe, to the ones who are given the righteousness of Christ, sit here and rest. It'll be a little while longer. It's coming. This is such an encouragement. 
And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Do you have your robe? If you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we can rest. How long, Lord? You are good. Oh, Lord, you know. I will rest in that. Why? Why has this not happened yet? Why is the Lord not taking out the full uh, weight, measure, and uh, breadth of his anger yet? Because there's a number of servants. Their brothers should be complete. Why? Because the last sheep has not been brought home. Because there is a number of saints, God's people, entrusted from the Father to the Son before the ages began. There's a complete number, and we haven't hit it yet. Every morning that, that, that you wake up, you can think, I've got another brother out there who has not been saved. There are, there are more servants who have not been brought home. This is exactly what Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 24. So let's put all this in perspective. Uh, the Olivet Discourse is usually confusing to people. But notice, this is exactly what we're seeing here in these seals. Matthew 24, 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We've seen all this so far. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death. That's what we saw in, in the fifth one. They were uh, martyrs being killed. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, there's going to be, we talked about this, there's going to be an increase in wickedness until Christ returns. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. To the conqueror. There is salvation. But notice the evangelistic motive for all this. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Same thing we're seeing in Revelation. But to the world, there will be a day of judgment. That's what we see in the sixth seal. The sixth seal just go down to the very end. Verse 16 and 17, there's mountains and rocks falling. This is all symbolic. The people are hiding their, their face from him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And the great day of the wrath has come. And this great question, who can stand? Who can stand? The answer to the question is in the very next chapter. After this, we get the answer of who can stand. Remember, four symbolizes the entire creation. Before we had four horses, now we have four angels. I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Think about that. Because of God's common grace, there is not one breath, not one leaf that blows on a tree apart from his sovereign command. Because his angels hold all of creation in its balance. But it goes on. There's the seal of the living God. Look at verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Same kind of idea with a seal. It is, it is, it is held, it is imprinted. So what's the picture here? The final judgment it has not come. 
Just like there are four horses of tribulation, there are four angels who are holding back the uh, final judgment. Why? Because of the full number of the saints. Because of those who will have the seal on their forehead. This should make us think of the imagery in, in Egypt. How was it that Israel was saved? There was blood that uh, covered them. They were sealed with redeeming blood. This is the redemption of the full number of converted saints. The blood of the Lamb by saving faith. The exact same imagery is in chapter, nine, is in chapter 14. Quickly go to chapter 14. All the same imagery. Remember, we said that this is not chronological. These are different visions of the same events from different perspectives. And he looks upon Mount Zion, verse 1, and he stood the Lamb with 144,000 and his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And they're like a roar of many waters and they're singing a new song and all these beautiful things. We'll get there in, in a couple weeks. So when we get to the 144,000, again, if you try to interpret this literally, a lot of foolish people get themselves in a lot of trouble over this. But let's do the math. Get your calculators out if you need. How do we get to 144,000? Well, you take 12. What does 12 signify? Fullness of the people of God. And then you multiply it by 12. Fullness of people of God in the Old Testament. Fullness of people of God in the New Testament. And then you multiply it by 1,000. What do we say 1,000 was? It's just something representing a big number. To the Lord, a day is 1,000 years and 1,000 years a day, symbolizing a huge number. 12 times 12 times 1,000 is 144,000. This large number of all saints from all places and all times this also, if you read through the book of Numbers, and most of you in your yearly Bible plan get, get stuck in the book of Numbers, but here's where Numbers is helpful. Because when anyone know what, what happens when they list off the, 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 the number of people in each tribe, what are they getting ready to do? They're getting prepared for war. These are enlisted men. This is the warriors of Christ throughout all the centuries. And they are the ones sealed. Everyone in Christ who has the name of their father on their uh, forehead. And if you're still unsure of, of, of who they are, again, a big number you can't count, it's expanded upon in the next verse. After this, in addition to this, verse 9, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We've, we, we've come full circle again. Here we are with the Lamb and the, the throne and this great gospel harvest, the fullness of the church, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worship God. The same elders, the same creatures who are worshiping in chapter 4 and chapter 5 are now worshiping because the saints have been brought in. What was promised before is we're seeing in fulfillment now. Saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. They're singing the same praises. These are people who have white robes, 13 and uh, 14. The innocence and uh, purity. How do we know that? Verse 14, because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So brothers and sisters, all this culminates again in rejoicing. The Lamb who sits on the throne 
It's worthy to open the seals. The seals will affect the world and the church, but the church militant is the church triumphant because here are their promises. Let's read them. Verse 15 through 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Saints, this promise is for us. We won't grow tired of serving him. We are sheltered in his presence. He loves us. He, he draws us home. He redeemed us for this purpose. Here's the other promise. You might be hungry now. You might be persecuted now. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst anymore. There will be no more scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. There are so many places I could go in the Old Testament, but we know that this, this imagery well. He lovingly takes his sheep into the fold. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a great promise to the saints, to the church militant that is true right now. We will be the church triumphant. This is the exact same promise that we see at the end of Revelation, and we're going to close here. Revelation 21. Remember, this, these are the same themes shown again and again and again. Chapter 7 is to encourage the persecuted church, but the end of all things is in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from before the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these things down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without price. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see this wonderful picture that the Spirit has drawn through the pen of the Apostle John. Let's just end where we started. The church militant should never forget that we in Christ are also the church triumphant. Remember this, brothers and sisters, when you get discouraged, when and, and if persecution and difficulty comes, the Lamb is on his throne. I'm going to give you a few moments to approach the table because this table is the promise of our triumph and conquering in Christ.